Welcome back to Podcast 51 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev on You can follow me on Twitter at OBKF. Follow us at The Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred at theodsbreakers.com slash betnow. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support The Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theodsbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any our winning cappers to get their premium plays before the line moves you can also support us on patreon.com and if nothing else please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber we have a great show for you today because kelly ford from we hate your team and the lines podcast and website is back to talk some college football if you haven't checked out kelly ford ratings they are top of the line stuff. He does a fantastic efficiency rating, and uh, it, it's literally hands down some of the go-to stuff in college football. He keeps getting bigger and bigger. Kelly is becoming a staple in this industry, so I just cannot wait to talk to him. We're going to bring up some Heisman topics, uh, talk a little bit about how he gets people riled up, as well as a preview of the Sun Belt. So uh, going to have some plays for you. And some thoughts from Kelly. And after that, Maddie, Vegas Maddie, from footballcontest.com, the best proxy in all of Vegas, is coming back to talk about how you can sign up for the biggest and baddest football contests in all the world right there in Vegas. But you get to play from anywhere in the United States or actually the world via courtesy from footballcontest.com. At the end of that, I'm going to talk a little UFC 292 Sterling versus O'Malley. It's a pretty good event. Some big name fighters, and I have some big thoughts on the card itself. As you know, when football season starts hitting us, UFC does take a back step to football. It will still be covered for the main events on this show, but the weekly fights will just be played via myself or premium members maybe once in a while we'll have somebody discuss some ufc but football is king around here football has been paying the bills at the odds breakers so we are going to focus on that and i literally cannot wait for this season to start before we get into all that i want to remind everybody to use the promo code football 2023 to get a hundred bucks off any football package at theodsbreakers.com. We appreciate all you members out there keeping us going. We appreciate all you listeners out there as well. Obviously, the free picks have been rolling. I think we heard like something spectacular last year in free picks, over 60%. And I hope to keep that rolling for this year's football season as well. Uh, right on Telegram, you get them immediately as they're played from myself and other cappers. You can also join our Discord channel free just by going to Newsfeed and click on our Discord channel to talk about any other plays that might be made by our cappers or by yourself. Uh, maybe you can give us some advice on our Discord channel at theoddsbreakers.com. I also wanted to mention that I will be at the Circa 
August 24th through the 27th. We're going to be with Vegas Maddie getting people signed up. I'm going to be in the Galaxy Ballroom doing some shows and some live streams. So if you haven't yet, please like our YouTube channel to get that live. Maybe participate a little bit. They will also be turned into podcasts for the weekend and for Monday the following week. So would love for you guys to join us there. Come say hi. I'm going to be with Maddie at 9 a.m. on Saturday to 10 a.m. giving away some free stuff, some free odds breakers, uh, paraphernalia. <laughs> and uh, uh, feel free to say hi then and get signed up for the contest. So would love for you guys to stop by and, uh, and, and get to meet you. I love meeting anybody that has been a listener of ours or even if you're a new listener. Uh, it's just so cool to do. So make sure you stop out and say hi if you get the chance, if you're in Vegas, getting to these big football contests. All right, without further ado, let's get into our first guest, Mr. Kelly Ford from the Lines and the We Hate Your Team podcast. Now I'm excited to welcome back to our show, Mr. Kelly Ford from the Lines.com podcast and the We Hate Your Team podcast. You can follow Kelly on Twitter at KFord. Ratings, Kelly, as Hank Williams Jr. says, are you ready for some football? Oh, my gosh, you're getting me all excited, Kip. Yes, I am very ready for some football. We were talking just before we came on here about how, you know, the summer brings with it the storylines, the off-the-field stuff. It's all very important, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of that stuff here today, too, but there is nothing like it for me that when we get into the season and we start seeing how the power ratings and the resume rankings are changing week over week, and we have actual, real, live college football on Saturdays to digest and talk about. There's no time of year like it. I'm very excited, and I appreciate you having me on. It's always a good time. Oh, yes. And, man, uh, it's so funny. I think it was January, maybe like a week after the championship game, I see you counting down to the next full college football season. I'm like, jeez, I'm just trying to get into basketball right now. My man is committed is what I was feeling. We, we, we've had the countdown going every day since then. There's actually, Kim, I've, I've done a, a better job about making the website, k4ratings.com, more useful. I put a lot more things on there now, right on the homepage. I got the big logo, K4 Ratings, which, by the way, my wife says I need to change, and well, that's a whole other thing. But anyway, it's there. FBS, college football returns in, dot, dot, dot. There's a countdown going down to the second. We are currently at nine days, 23 hours, 26 minutes, and one second until we get Notre Dame Navy kicking off. Uh, there you go, right on the homepage. Boom. That's what we're looking at there. So I can't wait. It's fun. It's exciting. It's been cool to count down. Yeah, awesome. I, I noticed the ticker. I do check you up for every once in a while. I love it. I think you do a fantastic job at Kelly Ford Ratings. You know, the, you're, you're growing in popularity. Uh, you've got a lot of fun stuff going on here. Um, I have a few questions for you. And I think we can just kind of start off here a little bit more in general. And I might have covered this last year, but for any new li listeners out there, uh, how how did you get started with K Ford ratings? And um, is, is this an efficiency rating or kind of uh, uh, both devolved from power ratings? Yeah, for sure. So with the K Ford ratings, um, I have always had a love for college football. I mean, it goes back to before I can remember my earliest memories. I'm sitting there watching college football games and loving every second of it. So always love this sport. I really don't even know why. The 2007 season, for all of its craziness, was the one that really cemented it as my favorite sport of all time. Um, but the power ratings really were born out of, I have the love for college football and a knack for numbers too. Always have, have been fascinated with them. 
Bill Connolly with his SP Plus, or at the time S&P Plus, and Brian from FBI. Those were the two guys. They started putting out their numbers, their power ratings, around that 2007 season, if I'm not mistaken. I've been following them from the very beginning, just taking in all the information they had to put out there. That's how I started to kind of view college football teams and games was through the lens of their numbers. And after enough years of doing that, I said I got a little older and said, you know what? I'm going to try to do this. Let me see what I can do and kind of put my own spin on a power rating and try to get into this space too. So that's how the K Ford ratings were born. Uh, my approach is very similar to Bill and Brian's. I mean, the engine of the K Ford ratings, I imagine, is very, very similar to the engine of SP Plus or of FEI. Of course, as I've gotten going and, and, and kind of found my own way, I've added little things here and there and have my own secret sauces that go into it and all that. But at the end of the day, it's very similar to what they're doing with the power rating. What we're doing, Kev, is we're, we're trying to project forward. We're trying to see which teams would be favored tomorrow on a neutral field against which other teams. And so that's how I, that's how the ultimate goal of what I'm trying to do with the power ratings. From those power ratings, I'm able to generate uh, what, what I actually find to be more interesting to me personally, resume rankings. So the power ratings serve as the engine for my resume ranking uh, formula or model, if you will. And what I'm doing with that is viewing every single FBS team, all 133, viewing their schedule through a common lens, through the lens of the average top 25 team. And you're showing the schedule difficulty there on the, on the screen. What I'm doing when I'm looking through that is we're saying, what would the average top 25 team be expected to achieve against this team's schedule? So as we're looking at Florida right there, number one, most difficult schedule in the entire country, the average top 25 team would be expected to win about 7.7 .7 games against Florida's schedule compared to, you know, if you go down LSU's number 10, 8.33 games against LSU schedule. So to me, that's what I get the most excitement out of actually is not the power ratings, but the resume rankings. Of course, all of that comes into focus later in the year and becomes more informative, but that's how I got started. I love college football. I really like numbers. Bill and Brian were doing great work and I wanted to get into the space too. So that's kind of what the Cape Ford ratings are all about. Matt, without getting too nerdy, uh, it's, it's cool because this changes every week, right? In every single game, doesn't the strength of schedule slightly change because it all just kind of recalculates as things go through? Yeah, without a doubt. So what we're looking at on the screen right now, these are preseason projections. But once the games start getting played and I phase out the preseason data slowly week after week as the season goes on, that's replaced with in-season data, which, of course, is much more informative and, and, and much more valuable. We, we, we only get 12 data points in a regular season for most teams. Every single game matters a ton in college football. That's one of the reasons why I love it so much. So, yes, while right now Florida's schedule is projecting as the most difficult, it's possible that as we're going throughout the year, Florida's schedule actually becomes not the most difficult. It's still going to be up there. You're not going to drop all the way down to outside the top 30 or anything, but uh, they might not be the number one uh, schedule difficulty, if you will, by the end of the year. So, yes, it's all changing. Resumes change every single week. After week one, Kiv, I mean, you have some teams that play in week zero, so they might have two games at that point, but the vast majority of teams, they got one game on their resume after week one. That means that week one game, that's 100% of the resume. It makes sense, right? But in week two, you've added another game. Now your week one game is 50%, and your week two game is 50%. Week three, now every game is worth 33%. So as we go, teams are building on their resume week after week, and that's why my most deserving rankings, it's not like an AP poll where, you know what, hey, you were number one and you won last week, you're going to stay there. No, if you were number one last week and you played an FCS team this week, you didn't add much to your resume. Maybe the number two team played the power rated number one team and they beat them. They're going to jump you because they've added so much more to their resume this week. It's not a static, hey, when and you stay here like some polls are. It's very much a dynamic flow every single week. What do we add to the resume? 
how, how bad is a loss? How good are the wins? Because um, some losses may not hurt you that much. If, if you're sitting there as a power-rated number 10 team in the country and you lose to the power-rated number one team in a very statistically even game, or maybe you were even better from a statistics standpoint, but you lost on a last-second field goal, your power rating is likely going to go up. Your resume ranking probably won't go up since you've lost the game, but it probably won't fall very far, if at all, depending on the time, the timing of this game. If it's late in the year, especially as it's becoming less and less informative each game or, or weighted le less and less each game individually, it won't fall that much because you were expected to lose. The average top 25 team was expected to lose that game, and you've outperformed probably the expectation in terms of the margin of victory, which I also incorporate as well. So, yeah, I, I don't need to get too much into the numbers. I, I've already kind of gone down that road. I get very into it. It's very exciting. There's so much to digest. And every single week, we're adding pieces to the puzzle, and it all comes into focus uh, come, come the end of December there. Man, I tell you, did you come up with all these functions yourself? Are you like a stats major? So, so I'm not a stats major. Uh, I'm a, my, my undergrad degree is in mechanical engineering, so very Close math enough. and science heavy. <laughs> yeah, so there. My mom is a high school math teacher. I've always been very into the math. The, the numbers do come relatively easy to me. But like, I, I do have some original thoughts and implementations in there. But like I said, the, the base model of, of the K4 ratings, the engine of K4 ratings is very similar to what Bill Connolly's doing at SP Plus, very similar to Brian Fromeau, uh with, with FEI. My most deserving rankings, I won't lie, I've talked about this before, I got that concept, that idea from ESPN's strength of record. Now, what I think is what I think makes my most deserving rankings just a little bit different or candidly a little bit better than strength of record, and that's not to diminish strength of record, I think it's great, is I'm also incorporating an expected margin of victory or margin of defeat. Like I talked about a little bit earlier, strength of record is just what's your record and basically how is it compared to what would be expected of the average top 25 team through the lens of FPI, mine just through the lens of the K forward ratings. But it's not just what's your record relative to expected. I'm also incorporating that. How did you do a non-garbage time um, points for and points against relative to expected to get that margin of victory or margin of defeat? Because Kiev, if you're if you're Wisconsin, as you have them there in the background, if you're Wisconsin and you lost at home to Ohio State by three points, and I am uh, let me see who else is, is on Ohio State's or who else has to go uh, to Wisconsin this year as I'm looking it up quickly. So Ohio State's going to uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, it, Nebraska. There you go. So if if you are Wisconsin and or and I'm Ohio State and I've gone to Wisconsin and I've I've lost to you or won by three points and then Nebraska comes in there and Nebraska wins by 50 points Nebraska should get more credit for playing Wisconsin because they perform better against the same opponent at the same location than Ohio State did FPI's not or um, excuse me strength of records uh, not looking at that for ESPN K Ford most deserving rankings do incorporate that. It's not weighted as heavily, but it's in there because I think it's important and I think it helps tell the story of these teams. It's not just the win loss, it's how good and how bad were you in those wins and losses and how dominant were you in those games. So do you say garbage time? Do you factor out garbage time? I do filter out garbage time for a hundred percent from the predictive ratings. Uh, once we've reached garbage time and that that threshold changes depending on what time of the game we're in. We the predictive nature of the data that we're collecting at that point it, it is very much diminished and almost to the point of negligible at a certain point at the point we call garbage time. For the most deserving rankings, there is a it's it's garbage time kind of weighted down a little bit. It, it takes longer to get there for that point because if teams are going to run it up, they're going to run it up, and that just proves their dominance. But at a certain point, 
beating Wisconsin by 50 and beating Wisconsin by 35, that's not that 15 point difference is not quite as much as beating Wisconsin by one or beating Wisconsin by 16, right? And so <laughs> there's a difference in terms, it's not just the absolute value of your margin of victory or defeat. Where are you on the scale? And also there's a huge difference. I lost to Wisconsin by seven versus I beat them by eight. That's still a 15 point gap, but now you've switched over zero, which makes it even more important. So um, yes, garbage time to a lesser extent is uh, included in the most deserving ranking calculation not nearly to the level that it is from the power rating standpoint. Interesting. So, uh, and and that makes sense because I don't want, the true Alabama strength was always underrated because they would quit by the fourth quarter. And when they played a good team, they would end up covering that spread because, you know, they looked at it as a whole rather than just three quarters, for example. And I think that's very important that you do that. And another thing you do is let's say I beat some teams early and we thought they were good and all of a sudden they lose a bunch of games later, that affects your power rating in the efficiency metrics, right? 100%. Yeah, no, a team is not, the team you play in week one is likely, that team, as they progress through their season, just like as you progress through your season, you're likely not going to be that same team in week nine or week 12. Teams change and different events happen throughout the course of the year, whether it's on field, off field, heartbreaking loss, a last second field goal win that propels you. Things happen throughout the year that changes the trajectory of a team and its season. I've struggled with how to best account for that. Basically what I've done is for the most deserving rankings, for better or worse, and I've I've done a lot of back testing on this, and, and this is what I think is best for now at least until I get more data and change my mind again. I, every team basically gets two chances here, two bites at the apple when it comes to awarding uh, credit or uh, fault for losses on the schedule. So if I'm looking, let's go back to Wisconsin again. Wisconsin here in week one, they get Buffalo at home. Buffalo is currently power rated number 102. So at the time of this game, I'll finalize my ratings next week. And Buffalo is going to be around 102. Let's say for the sake of argument, they end up being 102 coming into week one. Buffalo's 102. Wisconsin wins that game. My line's 24 and a half points. They win it by 24 points. Okay, great. They're getting credit in the most deserving rankings for beating the number 102 power rated team at home by 24 points. Let's say Buffalo goes on to have a tremendous year, way better than anybody expects. Their power rating rises, rises, rises. They end up winning the MAC and they're winning all these games and they're blowing teams out. Buffalo at the end of the year is power rated number 50 in my numbers. Wisconsin is now actually at that point going to get credit for beating the power rated number 50 team by 24 points. So in my model, in my most deserving rankings, you're gonna you want the teams that you're playing on your schedule to be to outperform their projections from the beginning of the year or from the time that you played them. Wisconsin gets Minnesota in the final week. Minnesota's power rating going into week 13 is likely not going to be very much different from their power rating going into Selection Sunday just a week or two later. So the difference in terms of what Wisconsin can get from credit for Minnesota is not that great. But when you're playing teams early on, those teams can change. For the better or worse, I've talked about what happens if Buffalo improves, Wisconsin get more credit. If Buffalo season tanks and they end up, excuse me, finishing the year power rated number 130, Buffalo, or Wisconsin's not going to get punished. They're still going to get credit for playing them when they were 102. So it's basically you get two checkpoints, the time you played them or currently, which by the end of the year for everyone is the end of the year, which one were they better? The time you played them or the end of the year, you're going to get the maximum credit. You're not going to get punished. It's not perfect. I know that. Again, <laughs> This, the, the, the relative margin of victory is a smaller piece here, so it, it matters even less. But it's the best way I've tried to account for. Teams change throughout the year, 
and you should get credit if a team has gotten better and you beat them and that's on your resume, but you shouldn't necessarily be punished if a team has gotten worse because in some cases it could be they got worse because you beat them and it put them into a tailspin of their season. So why would we, why would we punish you? Because on that day, in that moment, they were the team that you played. So it's, it's not a, it's not a science. It's an art, but uh, I try to bring as much objectivity into it as possible. I can get way in the weeds with you and I need to stop. <laughs> I, I mean, I could talk about diminishing returns with this. I can talk about, uh, you know, I love how you do two things, but if you look at the past history of it, maybe you could fade away. The past games start diminishing a little bit as you're getting farther. There's so many different ways to look at, it, but at least you do this because I think that's really important. You go farther than the FPIs and farther than a lot of people. And man, I, I could, I, I would just love to see your equations someday and just see how much that you literally put into this. I'd probably learn something, but I'm sure there's just so much into it and so many hours that you put. It's just absolutely fantastic what you do. And it's great to the sports better. And that's what this show is all about. But before we get into the Sunbelt here, I got to ask you a few things. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but what, what do you feel about the college football realignments coming on? I know most people uh, aren't loving it. Uh, do you have any opinion on the way it's going and, and what could be changed? I definitely have opinions on it. Uh, I, I try really hard not to be like a wet blanket on Twitter or too much of a Debbie Downer or whatever phrase you want to use. To be candid, it makes me sad. Like some of these things, some of these changes make me sad. I've accepted them. We're moving forward. This is life. You get dealt hands, you deal with it, you move on. I'm still going to love college football. I'm still going to watch the 12 team CFP on and on and on. But it makes me sad because I am nostalgic for the times that we had previously, the times when I was growing up learning college football. Listen, kids that are five, ten years old right now, they're not going to know anything different from Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC. USC and UCLA are in the Pac-12. So it's their reality. And, and as folks of my age get older, it gets phased out and, and we forget. Time moves on. It makes me sad. There are ones that I like. Colorado, back to the Big 12. I like that because to me, I kind of froze the conferences in about 2007 anyway, and that's where Colorado was. So things like that make me happy. The biggest thing about it for me is I don't like that we're getting away from geographical regionality with conferences. So Texas, Oklahoma hurts me to the SEC, but I can deal with it because at least we're, we're not getting too far out of that SEC footprint. USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington going to the Big 10. I work in college athletics. I understand why those things are happening. It's all driven by the money and the revenue that can be generated. I'm not questioning why it's happening, but just because we can do things, does that mean we should? I think that's the, uh, the philosophical question these uh, athletic directors and administrators, presidents need to ask themselves. Hey, it's water under the bridge. It's done. It kills me to see that, though, because now the Big Ten, the footprint of the Big Ten, which I think should be a Midwestern league. Again, that's, I'm from Indianapolis, live in Indy. I'm, I'm Midwest, Big Ten, through and through. We now stretch from New Jersey to Washington and Southern California. It's the entire country. To me, that's not a conference. That's the NCAA. So, um, again, I don't want to get too Debbie Downer. I think it does create some exciting potentials and, and possibilities. And I like that some rivalries are being either restored or maintained through all of these realignments. But to me, I would love to see conferences be a geogra geographical. And we're getting farther and farther away from that with every move that happens. Uh, so I maintain uh, that we can have faith in, in the future and, and, and hope that we can get back to some sense of regional uh, uh, common sense in the future. But right now, that's where I am with realignment. Uh, I'm just really excited the games are going to get here. So that the focus shifts to that yeah. instead of wondering yeah. who's going where and what's happening with now Florida State and the ACC. I know we're a day past their deadline. So 
Anyway, well, a lot here, happening. Well, here's the big thing. Here's the big problem, and you can kind of see this. And I feel like this is more of a setup. You see the two conference getting bigger together. I almost feel like the smaller schools are now a farm system for the Big Ten and the SEC. The transfer portal and the NIL money is absolutely out of hand. How can you pay a kid money and have him leave the very next year? It absolutely makes no sense. It's uh, haphazard. Um, there's all kinds of issues with it, and there's kids that are going to be breaching that contract, and there's going to be uh, athletic situations that might breach that contract as well, where they don't play the kid where he wants to get played. Now he wants to play more because he's getting paid, even though he's a future prospect. There's all kinds of problems, but, but the biggest problem is now you see the schools that we used to like to watch uh, on Maction and Tuesday night football, you know, Friday night football, they're just getting picked off, you know, by if they find that one kid has a great year and they find out this two star guy should have been a four star guy, he leaves, he goes to Alabama, he goes to Oklahoma, he goes to the bigger schools, Penn State's, right? And, and that just takes away from them. And then the school's sitting here like, what the heck, man? I can't even get a step forward in this situation. You know, if you're going to combine, if this is at all about education, and at all about the integrity of going to college and bettering yourself. This absolutely is the main thing that has to get fixed, in my opinion, Kelly. <laughs> There's a lot there to unpack. I don't disagree with a lot of it. Um, listen, being a college athletics administrator, I certainly have opinions on it. I have to be careful about what I share, how I share and all that stuff. But <laughs> hey, there's, I, I get it. I get the frustration. You're not alone in those things. I think there's a, a general sentiment about a lot of what you just said. And, um, there, we've got a lot happening in college athletics and college football is a primary driver of some of these changes. So yeah, man, there's, there's a lot that we're trying to deal with and work through and, uh, Many challenges ahead for those of us in, in the college athletics administration, and we need to rise to the occasion, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, let's get into some fun stuff, you know. Now uh, now that we just depressed everybody, let's get into some <laughs> excitement and some forecasts going on. And before we get into the Sun Belt, i got to ask you a couple things, you know. Um, let's start with just the CFB playoffs, you know. Are you just going to go one through four on your ratings? Who do you have in the playoffs there, Kelly? Yeah, so to, to me, um, I've got so on my website, I've got the toughball playoff contenders listed out by percent chance to make it based on my current numbers. I've got Georgia at a 70% chance to make the playoff, Ohio State at 53. Those are the only two teams in the country that have better than 50-50 chances by my numbers to make the CFP, more likely than not to make it this year. Alabama sitting there at a 41% chance to make it, Michigan at a 34% chance. So the four most likely are Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan. I'm, I would be shocked if that was the actual final four at the end of the year, because that means we have two from the SEC, two from the Big Ten, and no other conference is represented. I just don't think that's going to happen. So which teams are there kind of next in line if things break their way or, or if they're able to, to win their games this year? I've got Clemson and USC both at a 25% chance to make the CFP. And then there's kind of another drop off here. Penn State, LSU at 16% each, Texas at 15%, Florida State 14%, Oklahoma 13 and Oregon 12%. Those are the 12 teams that have a double-digit chance to make the CFP by my current numbers. Your Wisconsin Badgers sitting right there, number 13, 7.1% chance. <laughs> I wish, man. Uh, there's a lot of hype on the Badgers, and I just it just seems so improbable, improbable that that could happen. But I do have a little nugget for us in a few minutes here to talk about. Uh, when it comes to the Badgers, maybe, maybe Fickle is the man, and maybe Mordecai is too, but... Um, I'm wanna I have I'm just gonna throw out Clemson because they're at home against Florida State. I'd have them flip flop literally if it wasn't them, but I can expect them there. I hope there is chaos in the SEC. I'd like to see LSU in there again. 
Um, I think Michigan and Ohio State are fine picks. They probably both run the table. One of them loses to each other. They beat Wisconsin, Nebraska, you know, Minnesota. Uh, Iowa's a favorite too in the West, and they go and and that and then one of them gets to go in just because of the one close loss, and the other one, you know, makes it because well they went to the Big Ten championship and won and went undefeated. So I think there's a very good chance of that too. But there's literally about seven eight teams, and it's nice to see the change in the parity here. But talking about that, I want I'm curious about the Heisman, and I haven't really talked about the Heisman on any uh, podcast. But there's numbers. Uh, I, I know you're not in so much into sports betting being that you are in college athletics but you can talk like one for sure being that you do the same stuff we do who do you like for Heisman and who are your sleepers if you have any yeah so the Heisman and it's interesting as you mentioned I'm I'm mainly with team based team level projection you know conference championship races national championship races things like that my buddy uh Brett Gibbons who I do the the lines.com college football show with he, he wrote a whole thing about this, and we actually just did one of these previews. So I'm pulling back some of the notes that he had from that. Um, there are really some – there are, like, some requirements, basically, that Heisman voters are looking for. And then there's some also preferred qualifications. And just to put them kind of together a little bit, you know, quarterbacks have – this is a quarterback award now. Defensive players, regardless of how good they are, Will Anderson a couple years ago, I think, really got snubbed. Uh, Harold Perkins is one that we've been talking about this year, should maybe have an opportunity given – what he can do on the defensive side of the ball, but probably even won't make it to New York, even if he has an outstanding year. Um, so if I'm looking at quarterbacks, of course, Caleb Williams, I know he's the favorite. I know everyone's looking at him. We've only had one repeat Heisman Trophy winner ever, obviously, Archie Griffin back in the 70s, I think it was. And so it's almost impossible to repeat. And that's because not only does Caleb Williams have to be the most outstanding player in college football, but we know it's really the most outstanding offensive player. And then you break it down even further. He needs to be the best quarterback on one of the best teams, essentially what it breaks down to. He has to be that, again, but he also has to raise the bar on what he did last year because not only is he being compared to everybody else in the field this year, he's being compared to himself last year, and we've seen that time and time again, especially in recent years with Heisman voters and how they're looking for uh, to vote. So for me, I think Cade Klubnick is someone who, who definitely deserves to be uh, in the conversation. I've got Clemson favored in every game they're going to play this year. They're the favorite in the ACC. If they are ACC champions with you know zero – or one loss, and he's the quarterback of that team, and he lives up to that five-star status. Uh, again, those these are all big ifs. He is certainly in that conversation, and I expect to be in New York at that. Um, Brett, my, my buddy who I do that other show with, uh, with his preferred and requirements and all that, he says a couple sleepers might be Joe Milton. He really likes Joe Milton at Tennessee uh, based on the numbers he has and, and what Tennessee has in front of them this year with opportunities for big Heisman moments. And then Jordan Travis at Florida State. So I mentioned Kid Klubnick. He, he's thinking Jordan Travis maybe at Florida State might have it. So uh, to me, if you're looking for a non-quarterback, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. could certainly be an option. Uh, Blake Horam up at Michigan was in that running kind of last year till he got hurt late in the year. And if you want to really off the radar one, Brock Bowers, uh, if George is the best team in the country and he's the best player on the offensive side of the ball, I don't believe the Titans ever won the Heisman Trophy. Heisman Trophy voters like to do things unprecedented, like to, to be first to do things. He could, if he has an absolutely outstanding year, you know, there's hype about him being a, a first-round pick, a top-five pick, top-ten pick. Um, those are some non-quarterbacks maybe to watch, but to be honest, it's a quarterback award. It's probably going to go to the quarterback on a team that's won at least 10 games, and it's kind of in that mix for either a conference championship or the, the CFP at the end of the year. Uh, so that's kind of how I'd get to. Drake May is another one to keep an eye on as well. I think he's mm-hmm. – North Carolina's got a manageable schedule, and if he is able to live up to the expectation down there, which is, hey, you, you're going to be you know a top-five pick, if he slings that ball over the field and puts up some numbers, he'll be interesting to watch too come the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely 
You can argue for a lot of these top ones. And Kayla Williams, you know, is the favorite, plus 550, 5.5 to 1. Certainly no value there. Bo Nix is interesting at 16 to 1, but he did lose his offensive coordinator to Arizona State and Dillingham. So that could affect him. Um, Sam Hartman's interesting at 16 to 1 in Notre Dame. Jaden Daniels, you can make an argument for everybody. I think the Brock Bowers one, I mean, God, you have to put a safety over the top of this guy and just pray to God that you can beat his receivers one-on-one. I mean, I mean, I, I just don't see why. Why just take away Brock Bowers is – I'm going to probably get beat, but at least do that. You know, that would be my whole game plan against Georgia. Seeing Braylon Allen here is a joke, I think, for the Badgers because Ches Malusi is going to get plenty of – of play himself and in the passing game. But here's the thing that's interesting. And I know this is going to sound like a totally total Homer, uh, Homer pick, but I am not like very high on the Badgers, but what if they do get the offense right away? What if Phil Longo, who was Drake Mays offensive coordinator from North Carolina, you know, big passing offense, air raid style. You got Tanner Mordecai who you saw with Sonny Dykes for a year or two with SMU was fantastic. Now Mordecai's on the Badgers on another, you know, air raid type style offense. Maybe Tanner Mordecai at 121 could be a look because you look at Wisconsin's schedule and you saw it plenty of times. It's easy this year. They get Ohio State at home and they avoid Penn State and Michigan. Maybe even Michigan State. I'm not scared of Michigan State no more, but uh, with this schedule, he's 100 to 1 right here. He's 120 to 1 in a couple books what if phil longo's offense looks just like it did where he's been <laughs> north carolina right i think about i don't that. think i don't think it's a homer pick at all i think there's reason behind it and rationale and you just touched on a lot of the salient points i mentioned wisconsin's number 13 and my best chances to make the cfp at seven percent now that's not a big percentage but the reasons you just talked about there i have wisconsin as a projected underdog in only one game this year that is at ohio or excuse me ohio state comes to town in week uh, nine. So that's sandwiched between a road trip to Illinois and a road trip to Indiana. But the Buckeyes come to Wisconsin. So for me, that's the only game all year that I have Wisconsin as projected underdog. The projected dogs by about two touchdowns in that game. So I mean, that's that's a significant uh, spread there. But if you're favored in every other game and you take care of business, it is the easiest schedule in the Big Ten West, among the easiest in all the Power Five. Wisconsin was a huge underachieving team last year. They won 2.5 fewer games than I expected, uh, ranking in the bottom kind of 20 nationally in terms of my uh, over and underachievers last year. So I have Wisconsin as a top 20 team, a top 15 defense. And if the offense can get it going, as you talked about there, I'm projecting mid 40s right now. But if they bump that up into, you know, even like number 20, then yeah, this team could absolutely make it to Indianapolis. And once you're in that game, who knows what happens in, in one game with, with a week to prepare? I mean, it's, yeah, you could. You could see Wisconsin really uh, making a run here in the first year under Fickle. I think Fickle's a great hire for them, and uh, it, it might take some time. Anytime you have this much turnover, both on the coaching staff and with the roster, it's difficult to project. But the numbers, uh, cautiously, like what they're seeing from Wisconsin on my end right now in the preseason. All right, well, let's real quick rile up some Michigan fans because I need to ask you this. Am I looking at this right? You have Ohio State favorite in every single game, including at Michigan, what is going on with this thing? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, and I have them favored by about three and a half points um, right Ooh. now. And that is, that, that's Michigan hosting that game. And listen, I get it. A lot of Michigan fans just turn this thing off. I understand. you got the last two years, Michigan fans have, or Michigan, the Michigan team has beaten Ohio State. They have gone to the Big Ten Championship and won the Big Ten Championship and gone to the CFP. 
Michigan, over the course of the last two years, has owned the Big Ten. There is no two ways about that. They are the kings of the Big Ten right now. However, in the preseason, I'm not looking backwards. I'm using what's happened to help inform the model, but we're trying to project forward. And if we're talking about the three things that I'm looking at for my main inputs into preseason data, one is returning production, which, yes, Michigan does return a ton of production, not just relative to Ohio State or the Big Ten or Power Five, just nationally. They are among the top 10 in, in returning production this year. Uh, I think Bill Connolly put out his updated SP Plus today, and returning production numbers were in there too. And he, his are right there too. I mean, Michigan brings back a ton. But if we're looking at the other two components of the things that I'm looking at in terms of preseason K Ford ratings, it's what's your weighted four year K Ford rating over the last four years, weighted more recently, more significantly. How good has your team been? Ohio State is number two in that ranking for me. Michigan is number seven. So both very good, but Ohio State's ahead of Michigan. In your weighted four-year recruiting ranking, I have Ohio State number three. Michigan is number 14. So Ohio State's coming out ahead again there. I know how these games turned out the last two years, and I won't be surprised at all if Michigan beats Ohio State again this year in the big house in week 13. It could happen. As things stand right now, my numbers like Ohio State for a couple different reasons, and a lot a lot can be determined about the quarterback position there at Ohio State. History has indicated that it's kind of a plug-and-play thing, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a guarantee. Uh, so we'll see how that goes because Michigan does um, have some, some fun weapons on offense. Uh, the defense should be really good. I mean, I got, it's a really good Michigan team. They're number four <laughs> in my power rating. It's top ten offense. It's a top three defense, and I have to defend it. Because, yeah, you're right. The numbers right now for me uh, are a little counterintuitive. And I, I don't know what the Vegas line is. I think Vegas probably has Michigan favored by a couple. Um, so I, I'm a little bit off from Vegas on that. But it's the model is giving the benefit of the doubt to Ohio State in terms of the talent that they have. And uh, and we'll see how it progresses throughout the year. But it's definitely a game to watch, of course. Shame on you, Kelly. Jeez, man. No, I, I love it. You stick to your guns. You know, that's important. You know, you stick to it. And you could be the guy there saying, well, he was right, you know, come the end of the season. So, you know, there no you go. No one will tell me that, though. They'll, they'll, they'll be sure to tell me on the one <laughs> Um, don't you worry about that i yeah. love how you rile people up on twitter with the most deserving rankings and things like that it is just enjoyable to watch make sure you follow kelly at k ford ratings for all that fun throughout the season well let's get into a little sunbelt action then you know and let's let's start with the east here a little bit we got appalachian state and app state you know they've always been a powerhouse in there but you know maybe it's time to take a little a little bit of a step backwards i don't know it seems like the sunbelt had a new champion last year with troy and uh App State just kind of keeps crushing along, but not as elite as they used to be. Heck, I remember when they were FCS and they did beat Michigan, and this was just one of the big loves that made me look, or one of the big games that made me love college football so much is just watching that. But anyways, what do you have for Appalachian State for an outlook? Yeah, so App State for me, it's, it, they're interesting. Uh, I have them as the fourth best team in their own division, but it's very, very close. I have this as the best offense in the division. I know mid-50s offense nationally. The defense is concerning for me. I have App State with a sub-100 defense right now, so that could prove to be problematic for them. But it's so bunched up in the SEC, or excuse me, the, the Sun Belt East with App State, Coastal Carolina, Marshall. James Madison, it's interesting, Kip. James Madison's actually, to me right now, very, very slightly projected as the, quote, best team in the East Division, but they are ineligible for the Sun Belt Championship this year as they're still in their transition window from FCS. So with them out of the picture, it narrows the field a little bit for this spot uh, in the championship game. But 
App State, if I'm looking at their schedule here, um, I have App State currently as a underdog in only, give me one second. I have them as an underdog in, <clears throat> pulling it up. Sorry about that. Oh, App no, State's no worries. Just, just three games. One of them is a field goal or less. The other is a field between a field goal and a touchdown. And the other one's two to three scores, but that's the game at North Carolina. We know how great of a game that was last year. Uh, currently about 17 and a half points. So that's obviously not in conference. The other two games, you know, James Matt at James Madison yeah, yeah. going to be difficult, but James Madison not being eligible. If you lose that one, everyone in your division is playing them. You don't necessarily lose ground in that. And then the other one is they uh, currently have it as a pick 'em uh, against Wyoming, which again is not a conference game. So within the conference, I am only projecting App State as an underdog in one game, and that's against James Madison, who's ineligible for the championship. So if they win the games they're quote supposed to win by my numbers, they will be the the uh, East representative um, in the Sun Belt Championship game. Well, conference win total is what you're kind of preaching right there, according to the sports betters. That that'd be an interesting look. I. I wrote I wrote down something for every team in my preseason, and obviously it's a lot shorter when it comes to the smaller conferences. But uh, with the amount of information I have, you know, they did not return a lot of production. And Bill Conley's early rankings, they only ranked 131st in returning production, 36% on offense, 30% on defense. But they're a strong team, 1.24 uh, yards per play. They really underachieved last year losing five one-score games, you know, and that's really what it was. You see a, a team with a 1.24 net yard per play in the positive, you you think that they're going to be in the championship game most likely in their conference, but they weren't. But I do agree with you that they are still there, and Sean Clark is still a good coach. I'm just concerned about the returning production, but you can't ignore what they've been in the past, and I always factor in past success to my power ratings uh, when I'm doing them year by year as well. So uh, good stuff there. You know, it's funny you mentioned James Madison. I mean, we can probably go on a, a rant about how they can't play for the championship for, what, is it three years before? <laughs> I, I think this this might be the Is this the last year? I don't know. Yeah, it's at least this year, though, maybe one more. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and it, it sucks for them. But I just feel that this is going to motivate them to just pound through the conference like they did before. Now, James Madison, when they were FCS team, they were a highly rated team. You know, when you looked at mixed power rings from SC, FCS to the FBS, they were li literally in the 60s for a lot of them, you know, especially you look at Sagar and stuff mm -hmm. and a few others. Uh, so uh, it's not like James Madison was completely under the radar, but, you know, people were surprised that the new dog, everyone would feel should have a target on their back, really didn't last year. But, you know, they have to return or they have to fix quarterback situation. Jordan McLeod looks like he's going to be, uh, the quarterback this year, they did return a ton on defense, and my, my oh my, they did have a very good defense last year. A couple weird hiccups. The Georgia Southern one was definitely a head scratcher, and um, App, App State was a good shootout there. The Georgia State game, I, I, I think that was a garbage touchdown at the end there, but uh, it's I'm very bummed out that they can't play, but Kirk Signetti is an amazing coach, and um, I, it, I'm not going to be looking to fade them guys coming in, and their Vegas win total is eight, so they're looking to be a pretty good team. 1.43 net yards per play. Yeah, you said their Vegas win total is eight. I've got a 55% uh, chance to win eight-plus games, a 30% chance to win nine-plus, so 30% chance to cash that over with another 25% chance to push it is what I would say. So, yeah, they're going to be a really good team. All right, good stuff. Let's move on. To the Chanticleers, we got Coastal Carolina here. Big changes in this program, Kelly. What happened? Yeah, uh, so of course, um, yeah, Grayson McCall, you know, coming back, but uh, Chadwell's moved on. So we'll see 
what happens there. Coastal Carolina is interesting, though. There's only two games all year that my numbers have the chance as an underdog. Of course, week one, they go to UCLA, about a touchdown dog in that one. Not a conference game. The other one, that game at App State, it's in week seven. Both teams are coming off a bye. The East very well could be on the line in that game. The winner of that game at least could have the inside track in the East. So for Coastal Carolina, I like this offense. They're st- even with the changes, they're a top 60 offense for me. The defense is sub 100. So I've got some questions there, similar to, to some other teams we've talked about too. But I think Coastal Carolina is going to be a good team this year. I know we're, 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 they're undergoing changes, a lot happening. But I still have a uh, 28% chance to match, match or exceed last year's regular season win total of nine. And uh, just a 10% chance to go 10+. plus. So while they're favored in every single game but two, they have four games in which they are favored by a field goal or less and another game that's between a field goal and touchdown. So a lot of close games. If they can have if they can go have a winning record in these one-score games, they're going to have a good year. If they don't, they'll probably be disappointed at the end of the year. But it's all right there in front of Coastal Carolina. And I think they have the tools that they need to go get it done. That game at App State in Week 7 is absolutely going to be massive. Oh, it, it will be massive. And I, like you just said, I'm never worried about the offense. It's funny how Grayson McCall uh, toyed with the transfer portal in like December, January, scared him a little bit, but Tim Beck got him back, which is very important for his legacy, obviously going forward. But it's a defense, really. 110th in EPA was really the problem, but that's always been the problem with them. And they play a team with a, a, a shut you down defense. They get beat bad. They like just like Troy. They scored twenty six to forty five against Troy. Uh, James Madison seven to forty seven. Now with the clock running after after uh, first downs, uh, that could affect them a little bit more with the rule change here. So I am definitely concerned. Uh, two cases really. We I built against App State. They didn't return a lot of guys, and Coastal Carolina sitting here with a poor defense. We'll see if uh, Grayson McCall really puts. Uh, that big effort into, you know, he's got to have in the back of his mind that he could be possibly a late round draft pick or something. So uh, I I will say that they were one of the funnest teams to watch under Chadwell. And it was really shocking to me seeing Liberty with all their deep pockets, you know, really pull him away, you know, Um, that was shocking. But when they got beat, they got beat bad. And that's why, you know, they didn't have a great night yards per play. Let's move on to a interesting team. And I'm going to say interesting because I think I'm going to take a shot with them at 12 to 1 to win the East. I'm certainly not going to bet them to win the Sun Belt because I believe that South Alabama and Troy, which we'll get to, is much better than these teams. But I'm going to look at the Georgia State Panthers here. And Georgia State is interesting because they returned their quarterback in Darren Granger. And he actually did a decent job last year. Uh, Sean Elliott kind of... <sighs> I think he's kind of flying a little bit under the radar. He's a decent coach here, and they bring back four of their top five linebackers, their top tacklers. Um, I like their schedule this year because they at least get James Madison and App State at home. Now, they probably lose those. They might steal one of those games, and they also avoid South Alabama on the other side they get Troy, but they get Troy at home. You know, maybe get get lucky a little bit, get one or two of those wins. You know, they're looking at it as full conference. You don't have just to beat the East when it comes to representing the East. I don't mind a 12-to-1 shot at them winning just based on their schedule, the fact that they get the tough guys at home, and the fact that they have a decent amount of returning production, at least on offense. I'm going to see what your thoughts are on Georgia State. 
Yeah, Georgia's that's interesting. Uh, I think I failed to mention I have Coastal Carolina as my favorite in the East, even though they're not the best best team because they scheduled 31% chance to make the conference championship game. The reason I say that is I have just a 3% chance for Georgia State to make the conference championship game. So I'm I'm a little bit more down on them, I think, that than you are. I do like this offense. It's a top 70 offense for me. The defense is about number 115-ish. So big concerns there on the defensive side. If I look at their schedule, I have them as a favorite in only four games. Two of those are, uh, excuse me, three of those are, are non-conference games to start the year, Rhode Island, UConn, and Charlotte. Um, so I see them as being underdogs in a lot of games. Six of those games are a field goal or less, though. So a lot of close games, like you said, and if they can get some of those, then maybe they can get there. Um, yeah, I, mm, I'm not. I'm not quite there on them. I actually think Georgia State might might take a slight step back from last year's team. Last year's team finished the year power rated number 86. I have them coming in this year at 101. Um, but I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again, and, and they could surprise me. That's for sure. It's just it's a tough. I, I get what you're saying about the some of these games at home. You know, Troy, Marshall, another one that's been James Madison, App State. All these games at home. Those those are those are good games to have at home because those are tough opponents. Um, but I'm still projecting them as, as, as small dogs and all those underdogs from week four all the way down through week 12 uh, with a bye week in week six. So it'll be tough, but if they can win the close games, then they could definitely be an overachiever this year. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't, in, I definitely have them power rated under App State. I have them power rated under Coastal Carolina and quite a few others, but you know, they're just an interesting look because with all the change in college football, um, one of these teams is going to sneak up on us like just like Tulane did to everybody last year. And it's always fun, Kelly, to discuss that. But it's great to have uh, disagreement, too, because that's what we're here for. We want to uh, give the listeners every side of every situation. Now, I don't really want to get into Georgia Southern so much with Clay Helton. Now, I, when he beat Nebraska, people were thinking, well, hey, you know, here they come going. But then, you know, they lose at UAB and they have some pretty nasty losses here. But I, I think I'd rather talk a little bit about Marshall here. Um, and Marshall was interesting. How do you go to Notre Dame and win and then go to Bowling Green and lose last year, Kelly? That's college football, isn't it? That is college football 101. That's why we love this sport. Uh, yes, Marshall, a team. I mean, you could ask some question about Notre Dame. How do you lose the teams like Marshall and Stanford and then perform well in the other games? It's just it's crazy. So, yes, college football is wild. We absolutely love it. Unlike these other Sunbelt teams we've been talking about where I kind of like the offense and have questions about the defense, I think this Marshall defense is going to be really good. I have them as top 30. The offense is the problem for me, and they're, they're hovering around number 100. But Marshall is this third team in, in the East race. I've got Coastal Carolina, Marshall, and App State all with a 27 to 31% chance to win the East. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a round robin here between these and, and how's it going to go. What I don't like about Marshall, what, what, what really sticks out is They've got a brutal stretch. Weeks 8, 9, and 10, they get James Madison at home. We know James Madison isn't eligible, but they're a really good team. Then they have to go on the road to Coastal Carolina and on the road at App State. All the contenders, all the best teams in their division, they get back-to-back-to-back with two of them on the road. So while I have Marshall as maybe a slightly better team than either Coastal or App State, the fact they have to go on the road in both those games tips the scale the other way. I've got Marshall as an underdog in four games. Three of them by a field goal or less. The only one that they're that they're an underdog of more than a field goal is week six. It's a non-conference game. They go to NC State, uh, which could be an interesting one for the Thundering Herd. But yes, I like this Marshall team. I really like this defense. Um, that's that's why I'm, I wanted to talk about the Sun Belt with you because the Sun Belt's so exciting. There's so many close teams. It's going to be 
decided by close games. Which teams are going to end the year with a four and one, five and one, six and zero oh record in one score games? That's who's going to rise to the top of the Sun Belt, and the margins are going to be very, very thin in this conference. No, it's it's great conference to pick. I'm glad you did, and it's just so interesting. Uh, don't forget at South Alabama after then they get Georgia Southern at home, and then South at South Alabama. I mean, that's tough. That's a tough stretch. And I looked at that stretch too, and I was thinking to myself, well, they go to Georgia State too. I mean, pick your poison really in there. Uh, let's move on to the tougher side. And uh, you know, with apologies to Old Dominion and uh, Georgia Southern, but the tougher side is more interesting to me because you got Troy. And you might as well start here at the top that won it last year. Um, they're kind of like the two lanes as well. They kind of snuck out of nowhere and just showed hit you in the mouth defense. And man, those points that Coastal sc- uh, scored against them in the championship game, that was garbage points. You know, they were just destroying this team by halftime. They put their second string in. I mean, this was even close game. What was one of the best defenses that I've seen last year, and it was just so fun to watch the Trojans last year. But here they are, uh, and they return massive production. Two wide receivers. They return Gunner Watson, their quarterback. They return their running backs. I could see them winning again. My only hiccup here is the South Alabama game. I think that's a little bit dangerous, but they didn't get James Madison last year. They get James Madison at home. After the Kansas State game, that's going to be one I'm going to circle to find out what happens after Kansas State. If they somehow sneak an upset, it, I might be looking at James Madison. But this is just a very interesting schedule and an interesting team this year, Kelly. Yeah, Troy's going to – I really like Troy, too. They're my favorite in the West, 42% chance to make the conference championship game. They are the best team in the West by my numbers. This defense is the top 40 unit. Offense, you know, hovering around the mid 80s which you can get away with. I, I think that, that should be serviceable. Only one game all year that I make Troy a, a projected underdog, and that's that week two game you talked about at Kansas State. We saw Tulane go up to Manhattan and get a win in week two, I believe it was, last year. We'll see if Troy's able to do it this year. I think Kansas State should be better prepared uh, for that kind of upset bid this time. But Troy's going to present a problem, that's for sure. Every other game, I've got Troy as a projected favorite. Um, now, only one of them by a field goal or less, but there are six between a field goal and a touchdown. So there's seven games in which I'm projecting a one score uh, favor by the line for, for, for Troy this year. I'm looking at it, and yeah, they catch James Madison out of the East, but they don't catch Coastal Carolina, they don't catch um, App State, and they don't catch Marshall. So those other kind of top teams out of the East, they're not catching. And in the West, South Alabama and Louisiana are the main threats for me. I know we're gonna talk a little bit more about the other West teams. And they get both of those teams at home later in the year, week 10 against South Alabama, week 12 against um, Louisiana there. So I think the schedule sets up pretty nicely for Troy. I think this is the best team in this division. I think they have the best defense in the division. Um, And I have them favored in every game except for one. This was one of my biggest overachievers last year, winning 10 regular season games. That was 3.5 more than I projected. That made Troy the sixth biggest overachiever in FBS last year by my numbers. I very much think that Troy is going to be a big-time player in the uh, in the Sun Belt this year and especially in that West Division. Amen, man. I'm with you. I have Troy as the best team in the Sun Belt by a quarter point, though, and they do get South Alabama at home because I have South Alabama really as my second-best team here. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the difference. But South Alabama, Miles will move right to them. I have them 4.25 points greater than the – Average team and Troy 4.5, but South Alabama ranks 13th in returning production, according to Bill Conley, 71% in offense, 82% in defense. 
They were 0.61 net yards per play last year. Their win total is literally what Troy's is at eight. I mean, you can look at them, and they have some tricky games. Just like any Sunbelt team, they'll have a big-time game at Texas A&M. They have one this year. Ole Miss later in the season, so that's why you're seeing the win totals of eight you know, for both of these teams. But, man, they almost beat UCLA last year, and that was fun. Uh, you know, just really surprised them going in. And holy cow, I was – they caught me by surprise. And the fact that they return uh, so much production uh, on offense is is amazing. And I think that, you know, Carter Bradley might even take a step forward. He returns all his receivers. They return four of five offensive lines. The only game that – in the conference, no, they have two. I have two that they're going to be dogs at James Madison um, and at Troy, but that's yep. the that's the big difference for me. I'm guessing your numbers probably match up a little bit. Yep, that's exactly right. Those are the only two conference games that I'm projecting the Jags to be underdogs in. Uh, Non-conference, they go to Tulane in week one. That could be a tricky game for Tulane. They, they better watch out for that one. And then at Oklahoma State in week three, uh, if South Alabama could figure out a way to get one of those two, that would be a phenomenal way for them to start the year and dive into uh, Sunbelt play a couple weeks later with that road trip to James Madison. They start right off the bat, conference play at James Madison before going to ULM the week after that. So uh, it's the game at Troy. Uh, to me, that's the Sunbelt West game of the year. It's in week 10, uh, South Alabama at Troy. Two favorites. They're going to be right there. I think Louisiana might sniff around and see what they can do. But um, to me, it's South Alabama and Troy. And if South Alabama is able to win that game, they certainly have a leg up uh, uh, and will have a, have a chance to do it here because they, like uh, like Troy, they avoid Coastal Carolina. They avoid Marshall. They avoid uh, – they don't avoid Marshall. They get Marshall at home, uh, but they avoid App State as well. So that Marshall game at home, that's going to be a difficult one too in Week 12. Yeah, absolutely it will. And it's too bad that South Alabama is with Troy because if they're on the other side, I would definitely look at them for a championship. Uh, let's move on to Louisiana. We have time for one more. Uh, and I, I have them – probably lower than you. I, I, I would have them about an eight point difference between Troy and, and uh, well, more like seven, seven and a half actually. And I, I just, I, I'm just not buying them so much, you know, since they lost their coach, obviously to Florida here. Uh, now it's the second year. Um, and I, I just, they're even at net yards per play returning production ranks 66. They're 6.5. Uh, net yards per play. It, Mike DeSormo did have a rebuilding year last year, but I, I, this is just another team that I thought was kind of decimated from transfers again. And it's just disappointing for them to be in that situation. And um, they're going to have a rough schedule. I, I'm not buying them so much, but maybe you have something different. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree that there's unknown uncertainty. And, of course, Billy Napier's uh, gone and has been gone for a year now. Um, to me, the offense is still projecting as one of the, the top two in the division. The defense is kind of more middle of the pack. But I'm looking at there, – there is a there is a, a drop in quality between Troy and South Alabama to Louisiana. The reason Louisiana's kind of still in that mix, 21% chance to make the conference championship game, is because the schedule for me. Um, I have this as the easiest schedule in the division overall. Now that incorporates non-conference as well, which of course is not going to go into the conference standings, obviously. But when we're looking at Louisiana, they miss the heavy hitters out of the East. They don't get Coastal Carolina. They don't get Marshall. They don't get App State. They don't get James Madison. They don't get any of those teams out of the East. What stinks for Louisiana is they get both Troy and South Alabama on the road. So 
you got you're going to have to split those. You can't lose both those games, even if you run the table elsewhere and expect that six and two is going to be good enough when you've lost the head to head to both those teams. So you're going to have to split those. That's a big ask. I've got a five and a half point dog uh, against South Alabama and a seven point dog against Troy. So um, you're going to have to pull at least one upset there and then not get upset in your other games. So I think they're there with an outside chance looking in. Um, they're ready to pounce if South Alabama or Troy were to stumble, but they're certainly from a quality standpoint, a step below those two uh, in the West. I, I agree. It, it's Troy's and South Alabama's to lose for sure in the West. And uh, I, I just see them as a much, as much better. So didn't need to go too much farther into Louisiana, but there, you know, there's a few other teams we didn't touch on Southern Miss, Texas state, uh, old dominion. Is there anything else, anything you want to say about any of those teams? No, if, I, if I'm looking at it for a pre, from a preview standpoint, chances to reach the Sunbelt championship game. None of those teams are, are really registering with the legitimate chance. Uh, it really, Really, for me, in the East, Coastal, Marshall, App State, and in the West, Troy, South Alabama, with Louisiana trying to have a look into. No, that no, that's absolutely fine. Oh, man, great stuff. Thank you so much for sharing all this amazing information at K-Ford Ratings. Where could our listeners and viewers get your great info and media? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. This is always fun. Uh, I enjoy coming on with you anytime. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at K-Ford Ratings. I have the website, kfordratings.com. Uh, you can now find me as well on a couple of different podcast outlets uh, at thelines.com, doing some college football writing over there, as well as the college football show uh, on podcast. And then, of course, the podcast that I have with my, with my buddy, Zach, We Hate Your Team. Um, so I'm out there. I'm accessible. I like to interact. I like to talk to people, debate college football things. And it's only going to get more fun once the games start rolling here in, in only a couple of days. That's right. Make sure you guys check out K4 Rags. Kelly, it's been a pleasure. Let's have some fun on Twitter this year, my man. Let's do it. I cannot wait. Always appreciate it. Can't wait for the season. All right. For a quick recap, the only play I'm taking in the Sun Belt is Georgia State to win the East at 12-1. to 1. Just going to throw a half unit on that thing. Uh, not too big of a risk, obviously. Much bigger reward, though, if my thoughts are right on how the schedule lays out for them and they take a step up while the other Coastal Carolinas, Appalachian States, and Marshalls might take a step back. Now let's get into a little football contest with our guy, Vegas Maddie. Now I'm very excited to welcome back the best football proxy in all of Las Vegas from footballcontest.com, Mr. Vegas Maddie. You can follow him on Twitter at Vegas underscore Maddie. Maddie, welcome back, my man. Uh, I hear Thank you. Well, I'm happy to be here. I hear there's money to be made in Vegas. Right now there is, yeah. These overlays are pretty big. I don't expect that to be the case when we cross the finish line on September 9th. But right now, I mean, you're looking at like an overlay of what? Close to a little less than $5 million in the Circa Survivor and about $6 million in the Circa Sports Million. So those numbers are going to shrink up like as uh we get closer to nfl kickoff time but right now it's looking pretty juicy oh wow so so the overlays at six million i thought the guarantee was six million for the millions um well yeah for the for the million sorry i i think i what did i say you said i think the overlay is still huge like 4.5 million right yeah for the million sorry yeah the million is about four and a half million i think well they've got uh the yeah the six million for for the uh, million, and I think they've got close to two million. Um, not uh, what am I? What am I saying? 
It's all good. All these millions. Derek, you're messing with me, man. Uh, yeah. all these He's upped it. He's uh, upped it, okay, man. So let's break it down. There's a little there's around two thousand entries so far in the circus sports million. Okay. So that makes the overlay about four million dollars, correct? Yes. Based on the six million dollar and guaranteed. In the circus survivor, you're looking at there's over uh, three thousand entries, so that's about five million dollars in overlay so far. So those numbers are going to get smaller as we get closer to the last three weeks. But um, does that make sense? Yes. It, I feel like <laughs> I had you on last year about this time. As a matter of fact, I just pulled up and it was August 17th of 2022. And okay. I remember that this num- there was much less people in by now. I think it was in the hundreds almost at this point. Aren't we trending a lot more people so far compared to last year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was the hundreds. It's it had to be like I would have to think both contests were well over a thousand last year. I mean, I think the Circus Survivors trending towards like ten thousand right now. So that all that money goes back in the pot, obviously. With the Circa Million, um, I think that's going to be a little bit more of a stretch. You can kind of look at the entry numbers and triple them at least. So if you're looking at, you know, 17, 1800 in the circus sports million, you know, that puts you pretty close to the 6,000. And then in the, in the survivor with over 3000 entries already, you're looking at like between nine and and 10,000 if you triple that number. So I I think that's a pretty accurate way to look at it. I mean, I think it's going to, the circus sport, uh, the circus survivor is definitely going to go over the 8,000 entries. It's just how much more it's going to go if it's going to hit 10 million. Cause you know, Derek's going to guarantee $10 million next year. So he <laughs> wants to make sure that he can hit that higher number if possible. And the, yeah, the circus sports million has had an overlay the last, uh, like last year, it was about 1.4 or something like that. I, I want to say there was 4,600 entries and it was a guaranteed 6 million. And then, um, this year it's, stay the same so it's still six million and the biggest difference is the max number of entries has grown from three to five mm-hmm. in the circus sports million and in the circus survivor you can do up to 10 survivors which is up from six so guys who want to max out their survivors you know they do their 10 and then they get a couple friends to do 10 each and then they all of a sudden they end up with 30 and then they go from there so um that that's where you're going to see the um the entries really uh, like grow down the stretch is this yeah. people maxing out their entries. And to remind everybody and for any new listeners out there, what, what we're talking about here. And I mean, I know Manny and I just got like right into it. These, <laughs> these overlays just throw numbers at me all over the place. Confuse <laughs> me. It's positive EV when there's overlays, right? I mean, obviously if there's a contest yes. that's given away $10,000 with a $10 entry and there's 10 people in it. Uh, yeah. You better get right. in it. Right. It, it, it's, it's that thought process because there's no rake circuit gives it all away. And the circus kind of the big one right now that took over for the super contest. The super contest was the granddaddy of them all. There's arguments to be made both ways. The super contest shows also a great time for people. And then that was the original way back to the days where it was the Hilton before the super book. But um, what Maddie can do right here is get you guys in anywhere in the country or actually in the world. So basically these are the most prestigious football contests in all of the world. Uh, all based on the NFL. There's a few college ones here and there, but right, right now 
Vegas has rules that somebody has to be there to make the bets or place the bets in. And this is where football contest kind of comes in and helps you guys out. So all you have to do is either visit Vegas once or if you know somebody in Vegas, they can sign up for you and uh, you can get in from pretty much any time and don't have to be there to put your picks in. Is that accurate? Very accurate. I just want to clear one thing up. We like to say picks instead of bets just because bets a lot of people will then contact us and say hey can you throw money down on this game for me you guys do that too and that's a that's a big no-no for us we have to do it it's a handicapping contest so the picks must go through us there's um set lines that do not change if there was ever a contest with lines that changed i don't think we would be able to do what we're doing just because that's uh it's all a matter of timing as you know with uh, how the stuff works but yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the big difference. But yeah, everything else is a, was pretty accurate. So yeah, you want to get to Vegas between now and the Saturday before the NFL season kicks off and you want to sign up in person. We had our first client from Guatemala that came in yesterday. Ooh. He was very excited. He, was, he did three entries into the Survivor and he said, I've done very well here, but now I'm ready to compete with the big boys in, in the United States. So I'm excited for him. He, he was so giddy when, when he signed up and... Uh, I was I was excited for him, and that's that's one of my favorite things about this job is just seeing people get in it for the first time, and just how excited they are to to be a part of it. So yeah, get down here in Vegas to the Circa Sports um, uh, Circa uh, Resort and Casino downtown. You got to see that sports book too. I mean, it's just amazing. I know you're going to be out there next week, and uh, yeah, I mean they're doing their big um, ultimate uh, contest weekend. Um, August 25th and 26th, which is actually 24th, 25th, 26th. I think the media like yourself comes out on Thursday. Right. And then, um, yeah, they'll have events that Friday and Saturday and we'll be set up in the sports book from, um, 9am to 3pm Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's August 24th through 26th. You just want to meet with us, get signed up. Then basically you'll be able to submit your picks online through our website and, uh, hopefully cash a big check at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about. But it's not just that. There's many contests in these as well. So that's a great thing. Let's say you have a bad start. You still could win a week like five or it either starts at five or six, six or ten, something like that. Because there's many, there's four. Yeah, the quarters. So the quarters are worth, I believe, like 300000 and that includes the booby prize, which is finishing with the worst record over yeah. that period. And yeah, they're four, four and five week quarters. And yeah, you could win a lot of money. I mean, the tricky part is trying to get that great record. We have a lot of guys who get excited going in the last week that they're writing contention for one of those. And the problem is, is once you're once you're that close, you gotta pull a four and one or five and zero oh that last week, or else someone else will pass you, and then a bunch of people end up um, tying for the prize. So it gets broken down a little bit, but it's still a pretty nice chug of change. Absolutely, there is, and that's how it's so great about it. You're always in it, really at least until the very end. And that's what's important. And you want to stay interested. Unlike Survivor, you're out, you're out, man. But Survivor is definitely the bigger payout when it comes to the end. If you can be one of those very few people. And there was just very few people at the end last year. I think, what, three three or so won it? Yeah. It, yeah. it, it was uh, uh, intense. It's very, yeah, uh, it's competitive. I mean, three is, is like probably, it's one of the lowest they've had, I believe. I mean, I think... Um, the first year they did it, 35 people tied, and they each had uh, won $70,000. But the 
the guarantee was much, much lower than it is now. So now that it's up to $8 million, man, I mean, even if they split, you know, you could still split that, uh, you know, eight ways and have a million dollars if I do my math correctly. Well, that's a great situation to be in, man. Yeah. You can make those deals and they'll reach out to you too. If you're there, you'll, you'll have some opportunity. You can talk to some financial advisors or some betting geniuses if you want to figure out exactly how to hedge your bet. There's different ways of doing right. it as well. I Not mean, the easiest thing to do. As we saw last year, there was a possibility to win on Christmas Eve and by, uh, by one, uh, particular entry and um the raiders messed that up by losing if the raiders would have won that game somebody would have cashed for the six million at the time which is which is absolutely nuts but uh i mean just imagine being in that position it's christmas eve like banks aren't open you don't know you're even going to be in that position to try to hedge a bet and then and then what do you get down in that situation like what would you what would you bet on the steelers in, in that game to try to make it worth your while um, but yeah. it's crazy. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Once you get kind of past Thanksgiving, that's when it gets real because you got to get through that uh, extra week. There are two extra weeks. So you do have to go 20 and 0 to win the money. Um, and, um, yeah, Christmas week, there's, there's a, a few games and then a few extra games and then Thanksgiving week. So you gotta, you gotta make two picks those two weeks and man, it's, it's, it's difficult. We had three guys, our last three guys all went out on Christmas Eve as well. So it's a little heartbreaking because some of one one of them in particular had a great chance to to get to the very end and yeah yeah, the, yeah none of them the made it of none, none of them actually even made it all the way but they they were the last end so they all split it right well yeah, no they they were they were the, the people that made it last year made it all the way through. oh they made it okay because yeah, no, normally in our a, guys yeah the three guys that we three had our last three remaining survivors okay, okay. honked out on uh, Christmas Eve they had. Um, the Lions against the Panthers. I'll never forget that game. It wasn't even close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, a couple uh, Titans picks with Malik Willis as the quarterback. Brutal. Just, and that comes to the strategy. You know, you can't, you have to yeah. look at Thanksgiving, you have to look at Christmas, and you have to leave a couple of those teams out. And, you know, there might be the one that's like, I'm saving this, I'm saving this for th for Christmas. Right. And all of a sudden, their freaking quarterback goes out, you know? Yeah, I know. It was that I Kyler mean, Murray situation, right? Last year? Something yeah. Like that? I yeah. mean, you look at the situation now, like the Chiefs being one of the, the the top teams to save towards the end of the season. And, you know, God forbid uh, Mahomes gets hurt or something like that. And you're stuck with, uh, was Blaine Gabbard. Now? Oh. <laughs> you never, you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. He, he was uh, a quarterback at the end of the year. Uh, one year when we had um, uh, contestant, the super contest going for the win on a Sunday night. And um, he, he was the starting quarterback for Mariota um when he was playing for the titans i believe and so the titans have not been good for my clients over the years oh i that's bet sure. they've been rough on all of our sports betters as well all of us yeah. so that's yeah the titans are definitely a, a little mark to talk about uh what time are the entries due for each contest through footballcontest.com and through the actual book itself yeah the book's a little later we try to give ourselves uh a good amount of time to get all the entries in, but our deadlines, which I believe are the latest are 1 PM Pacific time on Saturday uh, for the circus sports million and survivor. And then the super contest, we have a later deadline of 4 PM Pacific time. So if you want to get into the super contest too, super contest weekend is this weekend, the 18th and 19th, this Friday and Saturday. And we will be set up Tony, my partner, Tony, she'll be hosting a party in the clubhouse. So if anybody in town, on Saturday, noon to five, stop by, get signed up for that one. 
And the cool thing about the super contest is there's even more ways to win. There's 11 in-season contests. And um, yeah, which is really cool. Uh, the, the season long um, totals are not what they used to be. That, that used to be like the first true million dollar winner. They had a couple of those uh, a few years ago. But um, now it's a much smaller prize, but you do have those 11 in-season contests. Craziest thing I've seen, last year we had a client start 10, 19, and 1. You think he, there's no chance he's going to win any money. He ended up winning $120,000 in the second half of the season in those in-season contests. Woo. So that just goes to show the winner of the Super Contest last year won $198,000. The winner of the entire season. Wow. And this guy won $120,000. Ryan now. I'm going to throw his name out there. He's uh, moved to Vegas. He's a he's a resident here now, and um, yeah, he's he's trying to attack these contests from different angles. And yeah, hopefully we'll see him do well again this year. But I mean, he ended up 58 percent for the season after start, starting 10, 19, and one. So yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty great story. And you and that's signed people in that one. And you sign people up in Vegas. They just don't want to get, sometimes go make their picks in certain places that require it without. Yeah, that. no, we've got some locals that, that uh, yeah, they'd, they'd rather um, us put them in. We're kind of like their alarm clock when they know that they need to get their picks in. That way they don't forget. Um, you know, we see every year that, that there's, there's entries in Survivor that uh, don't get in. We're proud to say we've never missed a pick in Survivor because you'll pick uh, them for us, right? Like, like yeah, we will. Them. But I mean, honestly, the 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 guys who are in the Survivor contest are the most serious uh, <laughs> contest players. They don't want to throw that thousand dollars away, so we'll make every effort we can to get a hold of them. And yeah, it, it, we had a couple close calls last year where we had a guy like um, off on his farm and he had uh, bad cell service or something like that, but. <laughs> you know, we ended up getting it. We ended up getting a hold of him and and getting his pick and everything. But did, did uh, you have to like launch a raven out there with a message? Is that a- <laughs> we should we should have we should have that, especially for him. He's he's, he's uh, I think he's out in Nebraska, and it was like oh, a little tough God. to get a hold of him. But um, yeah, yeah, he he made it towards the end too, which is which is uh, pretty cool until he busted out. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll make every single effort we can um, to do that. With the millions, it's a little different. You know, some of those guys just get dialed out and we'll just end up turning random picks in for them to make sure you get something. And you never know sometimes, especially in those smaller contests, um, you know, we've been known to put in some some lucky picks for people that have helped them win money. So we'll, we'll see what happens this year. But, yeah, that's just another yeah. added bonus for our service. It's a great point because that just makes it even more positive EV. So let's say there's no overlay, which I think there might be a little overlay. We'll see. I, I mean, in the I, million. Yeah, I don't think Survivor yeah. there's any chance. To give you but, one, but but that just you know, shows that there's more money in the pot because there not everybody has a great proxy like you that's going to put in picks. And by the way, when you're putting in picks, you're doing them randomly. You're not taking a sharp analysis or anything like that. Any bad money in a contest is always more positive EV for you as well. But in this situation, there's people that live in Vegas that will give up on it. Maybe they have money. Maybe you know, without, yeah. not a big deal for them. And it, that happens all the time. And that just makes the quarterlies and the small contests also worth a lot more to you, doesn't it, Maddie? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, some of our sharper clients, even last year, like the last month of the season, they just kind of realized it wasn't going to be their year, and they just kind of dialed out. And you know, we just put it in random picks for them and whatever, and that was that. But that you take those guys out of the equation. And yeah, you're going to give yourself a better chance. I mean, there's a there's a good chunk of people every year that towards the end of the season, especially when you get around the holidays, you get Christmas, you get New Year's. Um, yeah, I think last year, what was it? Uh, I think New Year's Eve was on a, a Sunday. So people were 
celebrating the day or it was on Saturday. I'm trying to remember. It might have been. I'm trying to remember that Raiders that Raiders Niners game was here, was here last year, and I, I it was like that was a tough the, one. It was like the biggest game here uh, yet, where it was just tons of people uh, had interest in the game because they knew they could get, come here for New Year's Eve and then go to the game. I, I want to say it might have been on, on uh, New Year's Day last year, if I if I remember correctly. But I mean, you get the you get people. <laughs> try to put their picks in on New Year's Eve and, you know, all, all hell breaks loose. You never know. Oh. So uh, th- those are definitely the biggest challenges. I'm, I'm glad to see those kind of in the rear view mirror that and Christmas being, you know, now Christmas, I think this year is on a Monday. Uh, so that's uh, Christmas Eve will be Sunday. We won't have to be going into the office at the sports books on, on either of those days, which is nice. Yeah, that's definitely nice. You can have some turkey at home, relax a little bit. That is Good for you, my man. Well, that's great. Where could our listeners and viewers go in, sign up, and get in these big contests? Well, we have all the information at footballcontest.com. If you go there, you can learn about the proxy service. You can learn about the the contests we do proxy for. And they're only the pro ones this year. We, we uh, didn't have uh, William Hill this year for the college contest, unfortunately. So we're just going all in on the Circus Sports Million, Circus Survivor, and the Super Contest this year, and we'll see what happens. But those are the big ones, the biggest contests uh, um, in Nevada. And, um, yeah, you can find out about, all about the payouts and how to sign up, how to schedule an appointment to meet with us. Just about everything you need to know is right there on the website. So go check it out, footballcontest.com. Make sure you check out Football Contest. Now come down and see us. I will be with Maddie. During those days, I'm going to be obviously broadcasting, but I'm going to be coming down visiting him and Tony in the Circa. Uh, might even check out the Westgate as well, but he's going to be in both places. But from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., you can visit him or make an appointment, which is more preferred, obviously, at his website. But we'll have some free stuff to give away. Make sure you check him out. Thanks so much, Maddie, for coming yeah. on. And-, and just one, one more thing. Just usually we're in the mor- there in the mornings, but as uh, the days go on, we're, we're becoming, like especially the weekends, we're going to have more extended hours available. So always a good thing to just check with us, go to our website, send us an email, and find out our availability so we can get you signed up. Great stuff. Get in these contests. We'll see you in Vegas. Thanks a lot, Maddie. Thank you. Now it's time for a little UFC 292 Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. And man, this is a fun event because O'Malley, probably the big crowd favorite at 16 and 1. He has the clown hair. He's always dying his hair. He's right here in MMA Labs down in Phoenix. Aljamain Sterling's a big favorite as well from Jamaica. And Sterling is a pretty big favorite here at minus 258. And there's reason for that. Well, Aljamain Sterling is the wrestler, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Sean O'Malley is a striker. Now, O'Malley is a fantastic striker. He made it far, very far in the Bamtan weight class. But let's face it, uh, the wrestlers are always the biggest ones. And O'Malley kind of got by the skin of his teeth in his last few bouts, you know, um, I personally believe that Jan actually beat him, Peter Jan. I also believe that Jan beat uh, Sterling had he not done that knee and get suspended. Now, Sterling did fight him again and ended up winning uh, in a split decision. And Jan had a terrible fight against Devalishvili after that. But I am just not sure that Sean O'Malley truly has the wrestling skills to be in this fight. Now, he did show pretty good defense when he fought Peter Jan. And that probably is what got him the win not to mention that damage he did to Jan bloodied him up pretty bad those judges favored 
damage over control and you're going to get that. But what's going to happen in this situation, nobody knows, you know. This is going to be a very fun event in Boston, Massachusetts, probably starting a little bit earlier here uh, on Eastern time. Now, Aljamain Sterling, he made some statements saying this is his last Bam Tam weight class. He hates the weight cut. Um, he always starts 20, 25 pounds heavy. So I think it's very important to watch the weight cut. But I also hate it when fighters talk like that. Uh, it, it's definitely a loser's mentality to say I'm walking away after this one. It's just, it's just like, well, I kind of feel like you're not as invested in my opinion. Now, if it was different circumstances, like you have a reason to retire, maybe, um, maybe your, your family or something like that, then I could look at it a little bit differently, but he just doesn't want to be in the Bam Tam weight class from what I'm seeing. And he's a big favorite, but it's not enough for me to get on Sean O'Malley's back right now. I, I think O'Malley could bloody up Sterling and if he can just inflict some of those some of that damage that got him the yawn fight who knows what's going to happen he might win a few of those rounds this is a five round fight obviously O'Malley has fought uh just mostly three round fights As a matter of fact all of his fights have been three round fights uh in his uh career but he only has one loss against Marlon Vera back in 2020 who's actually fighting on this card there's no way I can bet Aljamain Sterling as this big of a favorite in this situation. I don't even like him as a parlay piece because uh, Sean O'Malley's the next guy that the crowd and probably the media and maybe the UFC even wants to see as the Bam Tam uh, champion here. But I'll tell you this, uh, if O'Malley does win, I'm going to be all over Mirab Navalashvili when he gets his chance to uh, fight Sugar Sean O'Malley. And in my opinion... O'Malley is probably the fourth best fighter uh, in his weight class. Uh, I think it goes probably Davalashvili, then Jan, then Sterling, then O'Malley. People say Sterling is the champ, but I'm just not 100% sure Sterling is really the best. Now, Jan, definitely a big step back. He has uh, kind of hurt his chances here as another uh, another contender after that Mirab Davalashvili loss. But that's how good Mirab is, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So no play for me here. Next fight is a pretty good one. You have Whaley Zhang uh, versus, sorry, let me pull it up real quick. Amanda Lemos. I almost tripped over my words there. Zhang's a big favorite, minus 300, minus 350 in some of these books here. Uh, let's face it, Zhang is the truth in her strawweight class. She has two losses against Rose Namajunas. And I just believe that that's just that one fighter that got her, you know, the one fighter that wasn't afraid. And Rose's Thug Rose has always been tough, tough skinned. Um, the last one was a split decision. Some people saw said that Zhang won, but the truth is, is that uh, Lemos has not fought anybody. She's thirteen two and one. All of her fights: Mariana Rodriguez, uh, Michelle Waterson Gomez, uh, Angela Hill, and she lost to Jessica Andrade by an arm triangle. Just tells me that this number is right most likely at the minus 300 minus 350 but what i will say is that this is a long fight for lamos she's you know rarely gone all three rounds she went with angela hill once and won in that split decision some people thought hill won that fight uh while zhang's been in five round fights uh before just recently against rose namajunas and i think that zhang has the better finishing power as a matter of fact out of her 23 wins 
19 of them were finishes. She's an amazing finisher. And I think that's where Lemos gets it because Lemos, any of her losses, she only has two losses, both were by finish. So that's why you see the over in this fight at such a plus money price, over three, three and a half, I believe, is at plus 170. But I do think that's correct. I think Zhang does probably take care of this in the first round, the second round, or the third round, which you can get at plus 100. Um, I, I think that she finishes it within the distance. Actually, Gamlu t- sent this to me earlier this week, so I'm going to give him credit for finding it first. Uh, Whaley Zhang was at minus 120. She is now at minus 150 to finish this fight. I unfortunately missed a good number when Lou gave it out, but the truth is, is that I still like it at minus 150. I think Zhang wins this, and I think she wins it walking away. I'm totally cool with laying it at minus 150 for 1.5 stars. Pal, I'll kiss your boots if you can do it, but to be the man, you got to beat the man, and I'm saying, woo, right here. Next fight, Neil Mangi versus Ian Gary. This spread is getting out of hand with Gary all the way up to minus 500. The thing is that Gary is kind of the truth. He's tall. He's lanky. He's a young kid, very cocky. People compare him to Conor McGregor, but he hasn't really gotten in and fought anybody, in my opinion, yet. And Neil Mangi has fought some of the best people in the UFC, Gilbert Burns, Shavkat Rachmanov, you know, he's lost to those two fighters, but so what? The top two fighters in his weight class here at the 170 in the welterweight class? I'm okay with that. He beat Max Griffin. He just beat Philip Rowe uh, recently in June, uh, a split decision, but still he had a bad first round, but came back and won. Ian Gary's 12-0, and and his best win was against Daniel Rodriguez, knocked him cold out. But the other guys, Keenan Song, pretty good fighter. Gabriel Green, easy decision win, but he just got knocked on his butt by Gabriel Green, and Green's no great fighter himself. I think Gary's just kind of getting a little too cocky, and this number's getting a little too big. I'm going to seriously consider Neil Mangi for a play just based upon the number and the fact that Gary could absolutely get caught in this situation here. So I'll be looking towards uh, Mangi here. Shop that number around. You can probably get some serious plus money probably through through the plus 400s, in my opinion. Uh, Damon Blackshear versus Mario Bautista. I haven't really looked too much into this fight. I think Mario Bautista is a correct favorite here. Bautista has 5.33 significant strikes land per minute to 3.68. More accurate on the significant strikes. They absorb about the same. Their defense is about the same. I think I'd edge Mario Bautista on that. Uh, Mario Bautista, the better grappler, better takedowns, more high of an average. His accuracy, 68% to 29%. Mario Bautista is a parlay piece at best. I I could see this easily going the distance. And look, what's the number on uh, Mario's uh, going the distance? Actually, I don't even see it up right here at Bet Online, So I'll have to relook at that here. Looks like this fight was just pulled, so I'm going to have to look into this one a little bit more and see what's going on, why I'm not getting some lines on this. Next, we have Marlon Vera versus Pedro Munoz, and Vera's about minus 190, minus 198. Pedro's at plus 164. I hate this fight for Marlon Vera, and to be honest with you, nobody should want to fight Pedro Munoz. Munoz is good. You know, he's not great, 
But he's very good, and he frustrates the heck out of his opponents. He sticks, he moves, he can wrestle, he can grapple, he can get out of situations. I mean, I took a shot against him recently, and I lost against Chris Gutierrez. Gutierrez was actually a favorite in this situation. He he clowned Gutierrez. You know, he lost to Dominic Cruz, which is okay. Jose Aldo, which is okay. You know, before he beat Jimmy Rivera, lost to Frankie Edgar and Aljamain, but he went the distance in every single one. You know, Marlon Vera scares me because he starts slow. He's got the more power, the more power in his punch, but he can get worked down in this situation. You know, Vera lost a split decision against Corey Sanhagen, and Sanhagen is a fantastic fighter. Don't get me wrong, Vera is a great fighter too, but man, Moonholtz is just scary to me because that's what he does. He frustrates guys, and I wonder if Vera gets frustrated in this situation moonholz might end up landing more shots i think that this fight goes the distance you know that's easy to say in my opinion uh the price that it goes the distance is minus 400 so <laughs> obviously the market does too but i just i just if if anything i would say maybe pedro moonholz by decision might be a decent look here because if Vera doesn't get going, I can see Moonholes outstriking him, right? Frustrating him. And, you know, Moonholes winning by decision is plus 225, winning by points. Not a big difference between plus 160 to plus 225. Uh, yeah, I, if that's the case, I'm going to lean just Moonholz at the plus 160, but I have no decision right now to bet him. I'm going to do a little bit more research in this one, but that is a, certainly the direction that I am leaning in this fight. Moving on, we have the prelims and Chris Weidman versus Brad Tavares. Weidman's plus 220, Brad Tavares is minus 270. What the heck is Brad Tavares at 19 and 8 being this much of a favorite. I mean, I saw him beat pretty much nobody except he did catch Jocko back in 2018, which I guess is something. But man, losing to Shabazian when Shabazian was overrated. Of course he lost to Adesanya, that's fine. Beat Omari Akhmadov, not a big win. Split decision. Then he loses to Driscus Duplessis, which is aged well actually Duplessis's been doing very well then he lost to got knocked out by Bruno Silva in April of 2023 well when you get knocked out your jaw might be a little bit compromised Chris Weidman is 15 and 6 and he's certainly lost a ton of fights uh six of his last eight but he also beat Omari Akhmadov in a decision he beat Kelvin Gastelum and you know if he can just had some good luck he lost by a leg injury back in 2021 to Uriah Hall. I think he's kind of live in this situation. So in my opinion, these are two very close to equal fighters. I would probably give the edge to Vares. I would say minus 130, minus 140, but there is absolutely no way. Minus 270 is the price in this situation. These two fighters are about equal in significant strikes. 3.32 for Tavares, 3.03 for Weidman. And grappling. Takedown average, way bigger for Weidman, 3.92 to 0.85 for Tavares. Takedown accuracy, much better for Weidman as well. And Weidman's fought in 
just as good of a strength of schedule as uh, Tavares. Both are about the same height. Weidman has a bigger reach, 78 inches to 74. Just don't get your jaw in the way there, Chris, and you definitely have an easy shot to win this. I think it's mispriced at plus 225. Take Weidman for 1.5 stars at plus 225. My friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thanks to K Ford Ratings. Kelly did a fantastic job. Huge thanks to Maddie from footballcontest.com. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend and the fights and go get some winners.